back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Matthew on the ESPN Houston YouTube, where all the intelligent conversations had. Uh, he says uh, 2025 Will Wagner or DeZinzo season. I think that's how you say it. Zach DeZinzo. Uh, I've heard that they're pretty high on him, says my sauces. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I, I heard. I know that they were, they're, they're going to get a steady dose of Will Wagner at AAA, I think, this year to try and figure out what he truly is because there are some people that are high on him, too. They say he can hit. Um, from what I've read, he's a really good hitter. They worry about his glove a little bit. But DeZenzo, somebody, like, I think it's between those two guys. Like, they're hoping one of those two guys emerges. If not, then you're kind of, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, you're, gonna, you're in question. a little bit of trouble with third base. Other, otherwise, you're either spending, overspending on Bregman or you're looking for a bridge guy, which, I mean, Jeremy Pena was once a bridge guy, right? Altuve and, was once one, too. That's, that's what they told him. Yep. Which is unbelievable. Crazy, but true. Yeah. I wonder if he embellished it all in that story. I don't. I don't think so, because he, no matter... It's a weird thing to tell a player you're calling up. Yeah, but I think that everything was stacked against him. Sure. So that they probably said, you know, in the, in their office, in their meetings, hey, great story, but I don't know how this translates to the major league level. We'll see. But, yeah, I don't know that you would express that to the player. Yeah, I don't think that you you bring up Altuve and you're I like, mean, hey, Jose, you're just going to be here for a few weeks. You're going to start bridge until Kiki Hernandez takes your spot. I like, mean, given, the, given Altuve's story about you know being sent home from the tryout and having yeah. to beg for a job and all that, and, sure. and they were a little slow to bring him up. I, mean, I remember some, some radio hosts here banging on you know the table trying to get you know, Altuve called up. I don't think the Astros ever really intended him – to be their long-term solution at second base. Maybe they didn't show him. Sure. Well, that's he was bridge. No I, I think it's more. Be turned out to I be. I think it's more. He read the writing on the wall. Yeah. Than it was like Jeff Luno's. Like, hey, Jose, you're not our full-time second baseman. Uh, just enjoy this cup of coffee. Right. And he got called up at 21. Mm-hmm. Like that's not. I mean, that's not old. It's not old. No, it's not as long as they kept Pence down in the farm. But he or was. Springer. I think he was ready before they actually brought. Yeah, him he up. was tearing it up in the yeah. minors. Yeah, yeah and it was also at a time when it wasn't going to hurt anybody to see what they got and get him up on the major league level and see. No, what yeah, they're losing a hundred games. That year. Yeah, and then he showed them a whole hell of a lot more they were expecting, probably. So I'm a little, a uh, little concerned about Bregman. He's he's fat. He's been eating too much salsa in <laughs> oh, his no. swing. He's hitting a bunch of fades. <laughs> Wait a he got, he he got put fat on weight the bat could have been muscle, but now he's fat. He's 23 pounds overweight. I can relate. I know when somebody's 23 pounds overweight. I look in the mirror every morning. Uh, but one guy that I'm high on, he's eating that wild soul, or whatever that terrible sauce is called. Uh, they changed their name mm-hmm. because they weren't selling any Breggy Bomb sauce. It was on the clearance racks at Kroger. Uh, but the guy that I am excited about, is Jeremy Pena. And you know why I'm excited for Jeremy Pena? Launch angle. Launch angle. That's why I'm excited about Jeremy Pena. But I am tired of a notion when it comes to Jeremy Pena. And maybe I'm sticking up for him because, you know, we have the first name brethren. Like, he's my first name brethren. So I feel like it is my civic Jeremy duty to stick up for Jeremy Pena. But we've heard this narrative like all off season, Jeremy Pena took a step backwards last year. Uh, he wasn't as good as he was in his rookie year. Year two Pena, not as good as year one Pena. And I'm sick of that narrative. I'll concede that he lost power. There's no doubt about that. It's because of the angle of the launch. It was not very good. He's bringing launch angle back again, making it sexy again. But his average in year two versus year one was up 10 points. His on-base percentage in year two versus year one was up 
35 points. His walk percentage went from just under four to just under seven. It almost, I'm not going to quite say it almost doubled, but it improved significantly. Uh, his K percentage dropped from 24% to 20.5%. So while you can say, well, he didn't hit the home runs, he improved everywhere else offensively. His average, his on-base percentage, he walked more, he struck out less. People were like losing their minds about year two Jeremy Pena. I saw a lot of positives in year two Jeremy Pena. But there's no doubt, Jeremy, but you know exactly why. Because year one and a half Jeremy Pena or year one and a quarter Jeremy Pena was the playoffs with the two MVPs and and being a big reason why that they won the World Series. And that was the, and we talked about it before the season even started, the false and not fair narrative on Jeremy Pena from a fan base is going to be pick up where you left off in the playoffs and try and sustain that, which was not realistic. And right. and if he did what he did in year one, he's better than most shortstops in baseball because of how good he is defensively. And yet that wasn't what was going through people's heads. And that's how people were are, are, are turning to be hypercritical of Jeremy Pena because instead of being World Series MVP Jeremy Pena, like unfairly people thought, he just picked up where he left off and was the same kind of shortstop he was when he replaced Carlos Correa and did a hell of a good job. I, I would I would be more comfortable with the take if we hadn't seen such large spans of time where Pena completely fell off. Like remember his rookie year, he was amazing in April and May. Like he yeah. was go he went into June hitting over three hundred and then he absolutely plummeted until he got to the postseason. He was awful the rest of the year. Right, exactly. And then last year you you, you mentioned you're you're cor- you're correct, you know, a lot of his slash lines went up across the board, but you can't go the entire second half with zero home runs and not have I just I just can't buy that there's no reason for concern when you hit zero home runs but, over the second but half. But look what he did. As a true maturing major league player, he, he looked in the mirror, he looked at the tape, he realized I think a lot of the reasons why he struggled was because he was still trying to swing for the fences all the time. Because maybe he was paying too much attention to the people that were saying, you're not hitting the bombs like you used to hit the bombs. When in this lineup, in this offense, he could be more beneficial to himself and the team if he just... He takes the ball the other way and learns how to hit that outside breaking pitch and puts the bat on the baseball. He's still got speed. He's got some pop for the power alleys. He can do a lot of good things right without having to swing for the fences. But he, but that's what he did last year. Later in the season, that's what he did. I mean, his power was gone last year, and he walked more, and he struck out less. He was spitting on that breaking ball off the plate more often. Not It wasn't completely gone. Like He didn't fix it completely. He wasn't 100% better, but it was better. But I think where he really did it was he kind of fine-tuned his swing in the last month, month and a half of the season where he shortened it up a little bit and just stopped swinging the big, long swings for the fence. Are you a little worried that he's continually changing his, his batting stance, though? Because like, he messed with it all last season, and we've already seen mm-hmm. reports, reports early since the Astros reported that he's made another tweak to yeah. his swing. I saw, you know, I, I am the, uh, you know, they're, they're claiming that I'm the hitting coach on, on the Twitch, which, I mean, they can call me that if they want. They can call me a genius, too, if they want. Um, he is quieter. Like he's oh, quieter sure. with his bat, and I I like the I don't like a lot of movement. I agree. Now, I mean, you have your dudes who have been really really good with a lot of movement. Like look what Gary Sheffield did. Gary Sheffield was constantly in movement. Yeah, I mean, Gary Sheffield was cocking his wrist up until like the ball was twenty five feet away and was an elite hitter. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a fan of a quiet approach. Uh, I like that a lot more. So I like what Jeremy Pena has done. Um, and you can also see there's a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm joking about the launch angle. Not really. Like, I kind of am. Like, I'm being over the top, you know, sarcastic about it. But he is trying to get more lift. Yeah. He's trying to get more lift of the ball getting, to drive it out of the park. He's not swinging it, unswinging, like the big sweeping under the baseball trying to. He's just, he's kind of leveled it off with a little bit of an up tilt. 
and, and it looks really good. He said that he still has movement in his hands for his timing and, and feeling that. I'm good as long as the bat's not waving all over the place like a wand and, and that he can, he, he can just kind of set his back foot, be calm, and then when, when it's time, explode onto the baseball. I don't have any doubts about him. We've talked about this in the past when people are also turning the narrative to the fact that he's not a very good defensive shortstop, which is also just ridiculous. You were spoiled by what Correa did here, and no one's going to be the next Carlos Correa in this organization for the next however many years with a cannon to do the kind of things that he did. But he's an above-average defensive shortstop that does a lot of good for you. I think I think above-average is, is a little disrespectful. I'm just selling it like with without going overboard by saying he's a good he's a very good shortstop defensively. Correa and Pena last year were pretty similar offensive players. Uh, Pena hit two sixty three. Correa hit two thirty. Uh, Pena had a three twenty four on base. Correa had a three twelve on base. Their OPS. Pena was seven oh five. Correa was seven eleven. And Jeremy Payne is paying is getting paid the rookie salary. Carlos Correa is getting it. over thirty million dollars a year. So, like you're right, the playoff Jeremy Payne kind of changed probably the perspective on who Jeremy Payne really really was. I think this is another example of that we're expecting these players to be finished products like that. If Jeremy Payne can combine power of year one with average on base, a little better eye, a little more contact of year two, and put it all together. And then you add the defense where he's already won a gold glove, and all of a sudden he becomes a two sixty five hitter that hits 15 to 20 home runs that has a gold glove-capable defense at shortstop. That's a really good baseball no, player. Don't doubt about it. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying – No, I, I'm not. Yeah. The, the fact is is that we caught – you and I were defending Jeremy Pena's defense and the fact that he should be up for another gold glove, and he was doing all the things that the best shortstops in, in baseball do – because unfairly, people expected him to be Carlos Correa's rocket arm and all these other things. And none of that's realistic. And he caught a lot of unfair expectations across the board. But I'm very, very pleased with what he's done in his first two years. And I expect him to have, I think, a better year this year, both on offensively and defensively. Launch angle. <laughs> You're really caught up on that launch angle. Launch angle. Big the, deal for Jeremy. Mound Payne. visits only- have been buried, and now it's all about launch angle. Shortstop. That's right. The, the only concern I have on the idea of, and I agree with you, look, he's the second year in the league. He's not a finished product, but he was also an older guy coming up. He's going. He's in his age 26 season or yeah. in the season, so it's not like this is a 23-year-old guy who's still uh, physically maturing. I still, I have, I have hope that he can turn around this year. But if he doesn't, I don't think we're going to suddenly see something in the future. He's, he's going to be going. He's twenty six now. He'd be twenty seven next season. I think we're kind of getting to the point where what we see is what we're going to get. But you said turn it around. I don't think he has to turn it around. Zero think- home runs in the second half. He's got to hit more than. He's got to hit some home runs. I don't think he has to. As a shortstop, I think that's the misnomer that suddenly shortstop is a power hitting position. He, sure. he, he can't hit ten a year. Uh, I mean, it depends on what his, the what his other his stuff looks too. like. I mean, he's hitting 290 with 10 homers, I would take it. You sure, know? but like, I think 290 is an unrealistic I do expectation. Too. I do, too. Like, I, I think that you need a combination of these two years where you hit 260, 265, and you hit 20 homers. Like, I would to take 20, that I'd be fine. 15 and, I mean, to 20, he, I'd be fine. He hit 22 in year one. Like, he's capable. Mm-hmm. He's got the power. Like, I mean, look at him. He's got the power. And no, whenever that's he hits sure, the ball, that's why like, I worry about problem messing too. with the swing. I think it's, it's, like I clearly, think it's definitely swing. Yeah. It's definitely swing. Like, he wasn't getting launched last year, and I think this year he's going to try to hit the ball into the air. Uh, in Fuentes on the uh, the Twitch says, if Pena just hit 250, uh, we would be good. He said, and learn to lay off the off speed. Uh, we would have been, been satisfied he didn't regress. He hit 263. Uh, the Texture, OG, another good defensive shortstop who hits 240 uh, with a 690 OPS. 
Pena hit 263 with a 705 yeah. OPS and didn't hit a home run past the summer. So, like, you're this is like everybody's perspective of Jeremy Pena being incredibly off. Uh, another texter said, um, we kept watching him slide down the batting order. Our bad, LOL. Look, while I'm defending Jeremy Pena, Dusty Baker moving Pena around the lineup wasn't great. And Joe Espada actually said today that we want to get a fixed spot yep. for Jeremy Pena. I know that Jeremy Pena hits really well in the two-hole lifetime. Jeremy Pena is probably your seventh or eighth best hitter on this team. Yeah, not with and this a seventh lineup. or eighth best hitter on a team should not be batting second. If you want to give Jeremy Pena protection and a fixed spot in the lineup, he should be batting ninth. No question about it. I mean, if you're playing for a mid-market team that's struggling fi- you know, to put financially put a, a good team out, out there on the field, then maybe you, you bat him in the two-hole. In this lineup, on this team, with the capable bats that are at the top part of that lineup, I don't think there's any way he should be hitting second in this lineup. He should be between six and nine, and he should be fine. This uh, 6146, if Bregman leaves, Pena needs to have more than zero homers in the second half. What Pena does should not be at all correlated nope. with Alex Bregman does. Uh, that's up to the GM building a team. 4321, uh, not just the launching did dis- uh, disappeared, but people on base, he couldn't get a hit. And if he did, it was a single or a walk. I think whatever he does this year will decide if we keep him or ship him out. Jeremy Pena is going to be the starting shortstop for the Houston Astros for this season, his third year, and in the next three years after this. Like, he's cheap. He's an above-average shortstop, even if he hits what he did in the first two years. Jeremy Pena is your shortstop through the rest of his contract. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Sure, Bregman might be, but this is those are two totally different individual stories. One's going to end probably real quick after the season, and the other one's going to be here for the foreseeable future. So don't even start thinking that. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP. Listener line 713-780-3776. What a time to be alive if you're a Houston Cougar basketball fan, huh? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. And the Cougars <laughs> win. Round two belongs to Houston. Wow. As they win the rematch 73-65 to and take over sole possession at the top of the Big 12. What a time to be a Houston Cougar fan, call. huh? Um, three. <laughs> Houston, uh, number two team Harder in the country. Beating uh, number six Iowa State seventy three to sixty five. Houston's won twenty in a row at home. Ten and three, first place in conference play. BYU and Baylor play tonight. Baylor with a win would be a game back of Houston. And then Saturday, Houston's at Baylor, so there's no Ooh, rest it? for the weary in the Big Twelve. The following Saturday, Kansas is here. Yeah, I think that's. I think there's another week prior to that. Is that right? Because that that's the regular season finale. Whoo. Yeah, well, so I think it's two big one still coming that. up. That is a gauntlet. The Big Twelve basketball schedule. Houston's schedule is pretty tough. Last five: Baylor, Cincy, at Oklahoma, at UCF, and then Kansas at home. Yeah, uh, Iowa State's got a little softer schedule in their final five, so that's why you know last night was pretty big. But thinking about like first off, if you're a Houston Cougar basketball fan, think of what you've had in recent memory. Like you've had a run to the Final Four. You've been in an Elite Eight. Seems like you're going to the Sweet 16 each and every year. They've won 20 or more games in nine straight seasons. Currently number two in the country in the coaches poll and the AP poll. They're number one in the computers. 
And then you have Kelvin Sampson, the lead story, talking with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter. Like, you kind of have to pinch yourself if you're a Houston Cougar fan because you go back to being the old days before Sampson was here, off Hines Pavilion, and, you know, first year of Sam, the first couple of years were at Hoff Hines with Sampson. But no one was going to the arenas. It was a dormant program. Like, it was not good. There was rats all over Hoff Hines Pavilion, all of this stuff. And now, fast forward 10 years, you're in year 10 of Kelvin Sampson. You become a powerhouse program. You're all over ESPN, and that's you know there's some help with the Big Twelve there because if that's not a big Monday game, you're not leading it off with, with Scott Van Pelt, um, and you've become this college basketball power. Yeah, and you were actually switched to get to that premier game last night. Yeah, which means they wanted you to be the main story leading into their big sport, uh, ten o'clock Sports Center. And when you think about it, I was going to those games. I was going and seeing nationally ranked teams come into Hoffines and see maybe 1,500, 2,000 people in the building, if that, and you could buy a GA ticket and walk right down to the floor to see Kentucky and see big-name programs play basketball, and you're going, what is going on? Houston Cougars fans should thank their lucky stars that Kelvin Sampson walked into that building and, and that the run that they've been on because it has been phenomenal. And now that is a true home-court environment that Fran Fischilla was talking about on the broadcast last night, and he compared what used to be at Hoffines to – one of the best must-see environments and the toughest places to play in college basketball, and it seats 8,000 fans. I mean, it is ideal. It is amazing. Their game operations is fantastic, and the fact that it, it has made it a destination, just like we're talking about with the Texans, for recruits and prospects coming out of co- high school basketball. They want If they want to be coached up by one of the best in the business and they can handle some tough love, Calvin's the dude. The, the, the arena, you're going to love it. The environment, the, the, the team itself, it is a fantastic go-to destination for these high school recruits. And when you watch them play, how can you not love the fact that defense travels in college basketball and they get up in your shorts every single night? They, um, it's the hottest ticket in town, too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you look at who's been there the last two games. You played Texas Saturday. You played Iowa State yesterday. Both were around 7,900 for Tita Center Records. Uh, yesterday, you had a bunch of the former players. C.J. Stroud's there, front row. He By was the there Saturday, came back Monday. You know, Tank brought them. They're good friends. Ed Oliver was there returning home. But it's Dream. like a who's who. Dream was there Dream on was Saturday. There. I didn't see him yesterday. He was yesterday. there for Saturday's game. He was supposed to be there yesterday, but I, I didn't see him come into the door. Maybe he was there, you know, snuck away in the back or whatever. But it's the hottest ticket in town. Yep. So you have all the stars that are coming out. You have Hall of Famers. You have lottery picks. You have, you know, the Offensive Rookie of the Year in the NFL. And then on top of that, like, go look at the secondary ticket prices of what it took to get into the door against Texas. Uh, what it would have taken to get into the door against Iowa State. What it's going to take to get into the door of Kansas. Kansas. It's the hottest ticket in town. It's the best atmosphere that you can find in the city and they're really stinking good and Kelvin Sampson and a couple people on the Twitch are saying do you, do you agree with what Kelvin Sampson said about uh, Jamal Shedd being the, the best point guard in the nation I, I watch I don't watch other teams as much as I watch Houston I wouldn't trade Jamal Shedd for anybody you kidding me well, no plus, chance plus if they win the toughest basketball conference in the nation uh, there's no doubt that he's not only the best point guard in the country to me but that he's going to be up for the Wooden Award because he is Cryer's been up and down a little bit, but boy, Shed has been your your dog, your leader, your go-to guy. He gets buckets for you. That second half last night was impressive because he just came out and took the bull by the horns and said, I'm, I'm going to make something happen, and he did. And I love the fact that it's not just the defense, the offensive rebounding, the three bigs, and the fact that they're selfless enough to just go do the dirty work and then get the ball in the hands of their front court guy, I mean, their backcourt guys, and let them go. It's a, it's a fun brand of basketball to watch, but it, it, you just you got to appreciate how well they're coached. 
I, I wouldn't trade Samson for anybody either. Like, mm-hmm. you just look at the job that he's done in ten years. Um, you went from being that dormant, fran- the dormant program, dormant uh, college basketball program that no one knew you were really still playing, and now you're a perennial power. You've been to a Final Four. You've been to an Elite Eight. You've been to multiple Sweet Sixteens. You're becoming a fixture in the second weekend of the college tournament. Uh, you are currently the number two team in the country. You are leading the best college basketball no conference that exists. In the nation, you stack up what he's done the last ten years. It's the best coaching job in the last ten years. Yeah. Now, if you want to go like the last thirty years, you probably have to put Scott Drew there because he took over the program that was literally on the death penalty uh-huh. and brought him to a national championship. Last ten years, and Samson. Well, and the other thing when you're looking at all this, and by the way, I'm going to nitpick, but Fran Fraschella and the people at ESPN don't when you're doing who's the who's who that's sitting in the front rows. Don't show the camera with a two-shot of Tank and, and CJ. Hey, just I mention CJ. You can mention Tank Dell because it's a great story, too, because he's an alum. Just make sure you know who that is, too, when you're you're calling him out. <laughs> yeah, he was like, I actually went back and watched the first half this morning. Yeah. And Tank is, like, literally in the in the way. He's in the, he's he's in in the, the way shot. of the shot of CJ Stroud and the CJ Stroud graphic. And it's like, they don't even they don't even give Tank any love. I could not it's, believe that. It's literally Tank Dell, his favorite target, Look, his, his best friend. I think the biggest thing, too, because I was on the other side of it when Kelvin was thinking about going to U of H, it was the perfect storm for both sides. Kelvin needed another opportunity to be a head coach, and college basketball was where he cut his teeth and where he did a hell of a job. And U of H desperately needed someone that could right that ship and take that program in a totally different direction than they had been. And look what you've got 10 years later. It's just been the perfect storm for all all parties involved. Look at the facilities that he was able to kind of make sure that they got so that he could compete and recruit, too. Because without those, yeah. no matter how good a coach he is, it would have been a tough sell. Yeah, yeah and the money, the money tells the story. Jeremy, you mentioned, like, the ticket sales and selling out and setting for TV center, center records. I mean, I was I went to a few games in the early 2000s when the big teams would come through, like when Cincinnati and Bob Huggins would come through. And it was very much like the early 2010s with the Astros. You'd sit down, and there were whole sections of the arena or the stadium completely wide open to the fact where you could literally talk to the players and they would talk back because there was it was so quiet in there so it's amazing and i just hope cougars fans and i know you are live in the moment because then you look at their their year by year i mean it, going to the tournament every year wasn't the norm they went from mm-hmm. what 1992 to 2017 with one tournament appearance this is the longest period of sustained winning in Houston Cougar basketball history. Right. Like that that's a fact. You know, Guy V went to the five final fours. Right. He three got in close. A row. He gave it to three in a row. Was the national runner up twice. Uh, there was periods of that like and he was I mean obviously a Hall of Fame coach. He had mm-hmm. Big E and then with a you know Fice Lamb Jamma. But there were years where they didn't make the tournament. There there were years where they didn't get to twenty wins. They've Houston this period, this current era, they've won twenty or more nine straight years. They've went to the NCAA tournament. Now the COVID year kind of screws up this this whole like consecutive year thing, but they were going to be a tournament team that year. That's six years. This would be the seventh consecutive year. They've been to at least the Sweet Sixteen in the final four, the last four NCAA tournaments. COVID was in the mix there too, which that tournament was not played. Um, so this level that the Cougar basketball team has been on is. It's unprecedented. It's never been done in Houston Cougar basketball history. They're currently in first place in the toughest conference in college basketball. It's a who's who every single night, and it's leading sports center. And they've elevated the bar, too. It used to be it would be awesome if we broke the top 25 and we got into the tournament, to Brian's point. Now it's they're in the top five. They're consistently in the top ten if they're not in the top five. And when tournament time comes around and it's winning time, they don't let you down. 
they're consistently being a story that every, it's the feel-good story that won't end, that you don't want to end, that everybody knows they're just going to keep getting better as the season progresses. And that would make, that makes it even more fun because you're, you're excited about the fact that they're not even close to putting a cap on this season or, or this run. Yeah. He also replaced two first-round draft picks. He replaced yeah. a lotto pick and then Saster, Jarris Walker, the lotto pick, Saster, who went uh, late in the first He's round. playing well for Detroit. Yeah, he really is. And then they traded for Grimes, which is pretty cool, too. Um, but, yeah, this is uh, it's a lot of fun if you're a Houston Cougar basketball fan. It's kind of a pinch you moment, too. It's like, okay, you lead the Big 12 13 games through, not that you didn't think you were capable, and then all of a sudden you're the lead story on Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, and you're right. They, they've turned in they've, – they've been in the AP Top 25 80 straight weeks, which is the longest stretch in college basketball. But even beyond that, like, they're a perennial Top 5 college yep. basketball program. They are power. Uh, 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Cash it or trash it? What are your hot takes? What are your overreactions? Do you want us to cash or trash? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Prepare for overreaction on my mark. It's that time of the week where overreactions are not only welcome, they're celebrated. They say Muhammad Ali was the greatest of all time, but he never fought Cassius Clay. It's Cashem or Trashem with the Killer Bees. This is your hot take. Hmm. Give us a hot spoonful of your opinion. He's blank on Branham. It's time to cash him or trash him. What are you cashing? What are you trashing? Well, I guess you're proposing the take or the overreaction. We'll cash or trash him. 713-780-ESPN. 713-780-3776. What are you cashing or trashing, Blankers? I'm going to start with Fromber Valdez being the Cy Young leader again at All-Star break this year. The new and improved Fromber, the more streamlined and tightened up Fromber with this lineup on this team is going to... Pick up where he left off in the first half last year, and he is going to be the starter in the All-Star game, and he is going to be the leading candidate for Cy Young. I guess he was the betting favorite last year at the All-Star break to win the Cy Young. I think that's true. That is true. This is lofty, especially with his second half. Um, I'm usually the homer of the group. I'm going to have to trash it. Trash. I think Fromber is going to be good. I don't think he's going to be Cy Young good. I don't think he's going to be Garrett Cole good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna trash it, but I think he'll be top five, top five Cy Young favorite at the All Star break. Yeah, I'm gonna have to trash it trash. as well, not because I think Fromber's gonna be awful, but it's actually in, in direct uh, correlation to what I'm talking about in my oh. cash to trash. Well, it. go for it. All right, so my, my cash to trash it. I think Christian Javier will be the Astros' best starting pitcher this year. I, I say that for a number of reasons. One, I, I, I see the the drop off with Justin Verlander, which, by the way, happy birthday, yeah. Justin Verlander's mm-hmm. birthday is today. Forty one, yeah, forty one. Charles, Charles Barkley as well. A um, couple of H Town legends, but you saw the, the the ERA jump by up, uh, jump up by more than a run. The WHIP jumped up a couple points. He, 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 obviously, he's missing time last year with injury. He comes into this season with a you know whatever is going on with his shoulder. So I see that drop off there. We just talked about Fromber's second half and how shaky it's got. Whereas with Javier, to me, it's entirely the, the mile per hour on his fastball. That's his issue. With without the World Baseball Classic, with a little bit longer off off season since they weren't in the World Series. I think the rest is going to help Javier. He's obviously his arms more used to now having to pitch through a, a full season, which I believe last year was his first full season as a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. So I think the mile per hour returns to his fastball, and the guy that we saw average 11 strikeouts per nine is back, and he's the Astros' best starting pitcher in 2020. So we're going like ERA. Yeah, yeah, ERA is fine. Okay, all right. By that measure. Okay, John McClain. I mean, you did a hell of a job <laughs> trying to induct him. 
I, I have obviously have to trash this because trash, I just said what I said about Fromber. <laughs> so I hope the hell you're yeah, we right, had, we too. Had takes, so yeah, I had and to he's trash right yours. there on the heels of Fromber. But as long as both of those guys are in that conversation for each of our takes, great. But I'll trash it because I said Fromber's going to be where he's going to be. There was a lot of things that went against Javier last year. Like, he got the contract. So, like, do you take your foot off the gas a little bit? Like, a lot of people do. See Anthony Rendon. Um, the velo is not great. Was that because of workload? Was it because of WBC? Was it because of mechanics? Was it because I thought he was a little overweight? Like, he looked a little overweight to me. And now you throw in the pitch clock. Now it's not good to be a little overweight. Or you could get away with it more in the past. I think that we are going to expect a bit of a bounce back from Javier. I don't think that he's going to be like the workhorse, dominant starter that's the top of the rotation type of guy. And part of that's because I don't think he's going to go amazingly deep into games. Yeah, so he might lead the team in ERA. But like, even if he has like a like a team-leading ERA, but it's marginal over Fromber, but Fromber's going deeper well, into I, games. I would also say K per nine. ERA in yeah. K per nine. Well, K per nine is also an average stat. So like, it wouldn't matter about the innings pitched. But right? it would matter as far as dominance. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see... I don't know. I, I I'm torn on Javier, which is kind of the optimist pessimist of where you're at with the Astros rotation. Because I think you can do this with all the guys. Verlander is he going to beat the fa- is he going to beat Father Time? Fromber first half, second half. Hunter Brown first half, second half. JP France was it like for real? Uh, same thing with Javier. Like is Javier 2022 Christian Javier? Is he 2023 uh, Christian Javier? Ah, I don't know. Like, I, I need to see him pitch a see, little bit. I, I think his pitch his pitch count was the biggest, and his velocity were the concerns last year. Mm-hmm. But we know that he doesn't have to go as deep into games, even though he doesn't go deep into games. So if it was wins versus ERA, I, I think that he's got sure. a better chance because I think that he's going to he's gonna pitch five innings of successful baseball more times than not. It was only 14 more innings than the previous year, but you do factor in the WBC. Yep, um, yep. Cash, because I want it to happen. I think Hunter Brown could just as easily do it. Like Hunter Brown's stuff is nasty too. Like mm-hmm. if he puts it all together, sweet. Uh, Jeff Passan reported that it's inevitable for Major League Baseball to expand, and that Salt Lake City and Nashville are the two heavily favored candidates. That's fine by me. I'm totally okay if Major League Baseball expands by two teams. I don't mind the cities. Uh, Salt Lake City, Nashville, fine as long as the the A's get this the deal done with Vegas and they actually go. I'm all I'm cool with that. I'm cool with expansion. But if they're going to do this, they need to eliminate a division. You need to eliminate the Central Division, go back to the old school, East and West, eight teams in the East, eight teams in the West, AL, NL. That's how you divide it. I don't need three divisions if you're going to have 16 teams in both leagues. I think more and more we're seeing this across sports, that they're going to redefine division uh, divisions, and they're just going to get into more conferences or leagues. I'm totally fine with this because the geography a lot of times doesn't make sense. So I'll cash that. Yeah, give me that. And um, I would agree that you don't stick with three, but I think you're going to see if you're going to 32 teams, don't you just see what the NFL does and you have four divisions of four? No, because you play more games. And like you've seen this year's schedule is going to be different than the years past where you're not playing your division opponents as much and you're going to play literally every other team in the league. So I think part of what Manfred wants to do is he wants there to be more – he wants there to be more balance with the schedule, and he wants you to see every single player more than you currently do. And if everybody stayed with their current team, you would see every player every other year. Like mm-hmm. the Dodgers, I don't know if the Astros go to L.A. or if L.A. comes here, but if they don't come here this year, that means they're coming here next right. year. So yeah. you go, you can go see. Well, they, were in, well, they did that last year. But this is the first year of the, the balanced schedule. So I don't know if that... Messes okay, with okay. the, uh, I just like remember the algorithm. They played in LA last year. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that messes with the calculus at all. Um, so 
get rid of get rid of the third division. Just go eight teams AL East, eight teams AL West, eight teams in L East, eight teams in L West. Play more of a balanced schedule. Each division winner gets a bye, and then the other four teams. Well, there's your wild card round. I'm fine with that. Did you see, by the way, when we're talking about all this and 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 expansion, the owners of the D backs are D bags. They came out. They they they're the national. I mean, they, they won. They went to the World Series. They they won the league championship. They've got this amazingly big, spacious, modernized stadium, and they're talking about. I don't know if Phoenix is going to be right for us in the very near future, and I don't know if we're going to have to. We're not listening right now. We know there's cities that want us, but you're in Phoenix, Arizona, and Phoenix Scottsdale's booming. Yeah, the Phoenix you, is one of the fastest growing cities in the I country. Just, I mean, at a certain point, if you can't say, just shut your mouth, but don't have a press conference and say that stuff. Admit, coming off the season, you just had to. And just piss off your fans? Sounds like a power play for a new stadium. Sounds like a butt out. But I don't think they need a new stadium. I bet you the owners disagree. (laughs) That stadium stadium has been around since they won the World Series with Randy and and Curtis Schilling, right? It's been around for a while. So has Milwaukee. It's been along just a little bit less than than Minute Maid. And they're still modern. But this is the time you do it. Like, you kind of have the fans over the barrel. This is the most excited they've been for Arizona Diamondback baseball ever. This is the time that you do it from a negotiation standpoint. I just think it's a bad look. I mean, it doesn't look good, but I totally get it from a business point of view. Uh, a few of these from the textures. The Texans should have no interest in Saquon Barkley. Cash or trash? Trash it. Yeah, I'm going to trash it too. Trash. They should. They Price should at least matters. kick the tires. Price matters. Yep. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go past ten, or maybe eleven million per year. But I would certainly at least make the phone call. Absolutely. Uh, Forrest Whitley will make his big league uh, debut before the All Star break and have a reasonable impact on the bullpen. I'd cash that. I'm going to cash he's gonna the have a role. That- um, he's going to be. He may. He has an outside chance of being on the roster when they break camp. I, I think that he's going to be on. He'll, he'll be on the major league team for sure in the first half of the season. The second half remains to be seen. Um, I know he's got. He's had good stuff. I just don't know how it, well, it, it is. And it's beyond just what he does. It's be, with how many question marks they have in that middle relief. But he's I also got to get how straight, he's not going to be an option. He's also got to get it straight between the ears. He, he's just got to focus in, mature. And be the kind of guy that they need to. Re- you don't think he's rely on? No. What? What makes you think that? I mean, the PED stuff. That was a long time ago. I don't care. There's been a lot of different things where I'm like, you know what? You're supposed to be this golden child of the organization. At a certain point, it's put up, put up or shut up. I, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence right now. I have no reason to believe he is mature. I just don't love that you're hanging on to something that was very long time I, ago. I, I can do that from time to time. I um. I'll cash that he makes his big league debut. I'm going to come out with Astro Projection Roster 2.0 on Monday. I don't think I'm going to have him on it to, to break camp. Currently what I'm feeling right now. But I do think he'll make his debut before the All-Star mm-hmm. break. Reasonable impact is going to depend on how he pitches. And I like his stuff. His stuff hasn't always led to results. Uh, cash or trash, Texans will make it to the AFC Championship next year. Trash. I'm in a good mood. Cash it. Trash. Triple zero two schedule matters. Brian trashed it. Cash or trash it. If H Town still had the comments and were lucky to draft Caitlin Clark, interest in women's basketball would be steady for two to three years, at least. She's a she's a draw, man. Someone tried to say that she's a bigger draw right now than LeBron, which I disagree with. I mean, they did so well that they left the city. Wherever she goes during the championship, that's a draw. Past that, obviously, then. Yeah, I think she's a draw. Should she stay in college and collect nil or go to the WNBA? I would weigh my finances. Whatever pays more. Yeah. I tend to agree. WNBA is not going anywhere. 
If it's she's not because the, Iowa, the NBA is backing it and behind well, I'm in, it. I'm in for Kaylin Clark. Like she can, oh. like she's going to be in the WNBA. It's just a matter of when. Plus, when you start weighing her NIL money, a lot of it is national sponsorship. She's got State Farm. She has that one, yeah. at least one other. Whether she's pro or college, she's getting that coin. And and the WNBA salaries are not that high. Yeah, I think it might. I mean, I have no idea the math. But if she gets paid more in NIL at Iowa, she stay should absolutely stay at Iowa. Put up a record that's going to probably stand for a long time. Yeah, she's a she can play, man. She can play. All right, it's mock draft season. How are we uh, making mock drafts great again today? And how are we making the Houston Texans better today? It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, take a minute right now for Doc Linville and his staff. Phenomenal at what they do, and they do a ton of stuff. They do Botox. They do spa treatments. They do plastic surgery. But the thing that I know from personal experience that they're the best at, in my opinion, is simply put the neograft procedure. If you're a guy that's lost his hair, losing his hair, thinning, pattern baldness, you don't think there's anything you can do about it. You know that there's sprays and creams and foams that are out there, but they just mask the problem. You're not interested. This is why I'm here to tell you about the neograft procedure. I did the procedure. I could not be happier with it. The results you guys see whenever I have a meeting or whatever and I come in here and I show you the fact that my hair is back thanks to Doc Linville and his staff. He takes follicles that are never going away, and I learned from meeting with him and having a consultation with him that the hair on the sides in the back of your head is not going anywhere, and as long as you live, you're going to have it. He takes some of it and puts it where you need it, you need it most. He repurposes it, if you will, and that most ninety, almost 99% of the follicles he's going to move stay, grow, get longer, stronger. They're, it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. That was the game changer for me. That would made the difference and said, I got to try this procedure. Boy, am I glad I did. You could be next in line. As a listener to this show and to our station, you get a consultation with Doc and his staff absolutely free. It normally costs 150 bucks for listeners to ESPN 97.5. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com. Set up the appointment. It's free. Nothing out of pocket. No signing on the dotted line. No commitment that you have to make. Just go in, talk to them, ask questions, get answers. Find out about the procedure and see if it's right for you. If it's right for you like it was right for me, you are going to be glad you did it because, boy, oh, boy, did it change everything. From your appearance to your self-confidence, it's a game changer, and it's fantastic. Check them out today. Go to 975hair.com. Hey, Houston, you're live in the hive. With the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. 6146, the Cash or Trash segment is one of the most simple but best segments on the station. Y'all do a great job. We don't have time for kindness. Yes, we do. We have a mean tech segment that we do every Friday to end both. the week. We don't want anybody kissing that, Speak up. for yourself. You We're just like LeBron nice James. Things. We don't really take compliments well. We don't. I don't take compliments well at all. I, I, compliments make me uncomfortable. Well, you know what? Speak for yourself, though, if they want to compliment us. There's room for both since you guys love that. You're great. Oh, gee, segment thanks. At the end of the what freaking you, week. What do you say? You're great, too. Let's like, kill Branham over it's, here. It's, compliments are awkward. Like I think they're awkward. You're really handsome, Branham. Well, they lie. Now thanks. you talking to yourself. Appreciate that. I was going to say, they are really smart, Branham. Thank you. You do a really great job on the radio. Thank you. It's just awkward. These things are awkward. Send us the mean stuff. That way you can contribute to the show. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. So it's time to make mock drafts great again. Daniel Jeremiah is the mock that we'll be looking at today. Uh, yesterday we had the option of Enos Rakestraw, Jordan Morgan, Cooper, DeGene, and Byron Murphy. The voters, they went with Byron Murphy. 56% been the biggest blowout that we have. So uh, our listeners like Byron Murphy. I've learned that with yesterday's mock draft. You can uh, vote for today's mock at Jeremy Branham. You can just look at it at ESPN. 
97.5 on a Twitter as well. Uh, Brian just uh, just retweeted it. So today's Daniel Jeremiah's. I'm going to stop doing top 10. Top 10 is a little old. We're just going to go top five and then look at the Texans pick. Uh, Caleb Williams, number one to Chicago. No surprise. Drake May, number two to Washington, which the second quarterback off the board is going to be interesting. It is. Uh, I got 100 smackaroos <laughs> lying on it. Uh, number three, I have Drake May going ahead. of. I have a $100 bet, me and my buddy. His name's Guy. He's a guy. Uh-huh. Um, he has Jaden Daniels going ahead of Drake May. I have Drake May going ahead of Jaden Daniels. I just – I think it, I, I'm not – I'm going to be – I'm not going to say amazed. I'm going to be very surprised if Jaden Daniels – Climbs all the way that high and is the second quarterback taken in this draft. I just, I know he won the Heisman, but the way he played, style of play, and how it translates to the NFL, I'm curious. But I have question marks about Drake May, too. So it's going to be an interesting race. I think people are going to nitpick Drake May throughout this process to the point where he drops a little bit, if, I, if I'm honest. I've already seen some of that come out with, with Lance Sirline and a few others where they're, they're picking apart his game. So I, I seen I could, enough, didn't have to do enough, yeah, didn't just, do enough big flashy plays. I'd be Did surprised. Did do enough, though? Kidding. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, would, you, been, would you bet $100 on Drake May or Jaden Daniels? Jaden Daniels. Blankers? I would take Drake May. There you go. Split. If somebody wants to bet me hundred dollars, I might just hedge this. Hedge and get it. This for free. <laughs> Did you put Jaden uh, Drake may ahead of Jaden Daniels? Yeah, I have yeah. hundred on on Drake. I, I can I'm, see that. I'm actually probably I, I haven't been able to find second quarterback taking odds yet, but I'm going to try to hedge it. I, I'm not comfortable with where I'm at. If I'm being completely honest, don't tell anybody I said that. Uh, anyways, uh, Marvin Harrison goes number three in this one, so Jaden Daniels slides out of the top three. Uh, Marvin Harrison number three to New England, which is cool. Malik Neighbors number four, the receiver from LSU, goes before the quarterback from LSU. LSU, and then Joe Alt goes number five to the Chargers, try to protect Justin Herbert a little bit. Uh, Jaden Daniels does fall number six to the Giants, which if you're a Giant fan, Todd the Show, you like Jaden Daniels there? Feels like a death sentence like for Jaden Daniels. Like, what weapon does he have to throw? I don't think so at all. I, I don't think, think so either. I think Daniel Jones plays for one more year. You get a chance to get settled in, learn the system, learn your, your offensive-minded head coach, yeah. and, and figure th- some things out. And if they're going to be bad and they lose Barkley or they don't have the weapons, let Daniel Jones take the beating. You get settled in. And when Daniel Jones' contract is up, so is he. And your chat. Time to shine comes right in. I, I, I could get with that. I just would be afraid of putting Jaden Daniels in a game with their current offensive skill players. But if you're talking about setting a year yeah. and building a team you know, over the next calendar year, then I'd be fine That's with that. That's my point. You don't have to take the beating or deal with the skill pillar players they have this year. Daniel Jones does. And then when they kind of build the whole thing around you the next year, you're in a great spot. Jeremiah has J.J. McCarthy going to Atlanta at number eight just to play the quarterback game. That's high for J.J. McCarthy. Uh, that's, that has I know they need quarterback, but I don't like that one. Teams love quarterbacks, though, so you know how that goes. So slide all the way down to number 23. Daniel Jeremiah has the Houston Texans selecting... Brian Thomas Jr., the wide receiver from LSU, he says bringing him in with Nico and Tank used to rival any team in the league for the best trio at wide receiver. If the Texans select receiver at number 23 on draft day, you will feel what? I will not feel happy. I don't think that that's their biggest position of need. And, of course, we're going to have to a lot light lays in the balance to figure out what they do or don't do with their own free agents and free agency. But I think that there is probably going to be at least one of two positions that they're going to have a bigger need for, and that will either be pass rusher or corner, and you might throw D-line in there as well based on D'Amico. I I just don't think that a first-round pick towards a wide receiver is the right play here. 
I don't like receiver here either. And like I'm going to stand on that table uh, unless you have one of the what, studs. What is the best slide. player available though? Because I, I agree with you guys that corner and, and defense alignment are bigger needs, but best player available that Byron Murphy goes earlier. The corners you like go earlier. I mean, I I do think wide receivers a need. I just and if you don't address here, it in free agency, I don't think a Brian Thomas types necessarily like a high like just head and shoulders the best available. Because unless like a Roma Dunze slips to twenty three, which very that, unlikely. That way, that's not there's there's a lot of depth in this draft where you're going to have corners like Rake Straw is going to be available, the Gene's going to be available, Chop Robinson if you don't bring back John Grenard's going to be available. So I I see what you're saying, and I'm a BPA guy, but I like receivers in the middle rounds, and I, I like a few of names specifically where I feel like you need to draft that defensive guy. And, early. and Nick's proven he can find receivers later. Yeah. So. so I, yeah, I don't think receiver first round is the right mix. We're out on it. A, Where are you at, Brian? I, I just think wide receiver is a bigger need than you guys are, are no, I think it's at a this need. point. I just I don't think you need it in the first round. You know, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily wide receiver or bust in the first round. I would definitely lean corner or defensive tackle or pass rusher if if one of those was the best player available. But I wouldn't run away from wide receiver if it's there because going back to our earlier conversation about Mike Evans, we saw what happened to this team as soon as Tank Dell went down. You're down to just Nico yeah. Collins. And it was it was a struggle. They, he didn't have enough playmakers. CJ didn't have enough playmakers around him. So if you you take Brian Thomas or you go after a big guy in free agency, then that depth obviously allows the Texans to have fewer drop offs when someone's out. Fair enough. I think you can find playmakers other places, but compelling point. Um, so you're cool with it. Blankers and I would not be too fans of uh, huge fans of it. So let's do the Brian Thomas next three picks. So you have the option of Brian Thomas, LSU receiver, Tyler Guyton. Oklahoma offensive tackle, Cooper DeGene, the Iowa corner, maybe eventually a safety, and then a Donnie Mitchell, wide receiver from Texas. Brian McDonald's a big Texas fan. Uh, Blankers, you're in the shoes of Nick Casario. I hope, hope you can fit him. Uh, who are you taking of these four? I'm going I'm going DeGene. I'm going Cooper DeGene. I, I just feel like the needs for this team and the, the more immediate needs are going to be right on the defensive side of the football based on what we talked about. And I think that, yeah, I don't know. I would maybe ideally like to have a different corner than, than DeGene. But I think DeGene, if that's the guy and the people to choose from, that's the direction I'm going. Yeah, I'm going DeGene here too. Uh, a texter even says if the Texans sign a receiver, they're not going to pick a receiver in the first round. But it's, you kind of have to see how free agency yeah, that's, goes. That's we true, don't know how that's free true with going. any position. Yeah, really. I agree. Like if you sign, if you sign Steven Nelson, you're not drafting DeGene in round right, one. Right. If you bring back John Grenard, you're not going with Chop Robinson. So we almost have to act like we're not bringing back any of these guys. I'm going to go with Cooper DeGene too. It's unanimous with the B's, Brian. Make it a sweep. Yeah. You going with DeGene I, too after arguing for receiver? Yeah, you just rece- no, I said, you no, know, you asked me if I'd be fine with <laughs> It. That's a different conversation than who what I would I take. know, but that's no fun. <laughs> no, I'm a little concerned that he would possibly be switching to safety, but at 23, uh, to me, that's late enough where I'd be fine with safety too, and I would, if oh. I'm running the Texans, Jimmy Ward would be a cap casualty, so say. you'll have an opening there as well. That's exactly So if, if Cooper DeGene is the guy that D'Amico likes, it almost really doesn't matter if he plays safety or corner because you're going to have an opening in both places. And again, secondary is a bigger need than wide receiver, so I will go with the d- defensive back. Cooper DeGene, the pick. As Jeremy would say, I-, I believe Jimmy Ward's shown me more than enough to show he's washed. <laughs> I love adding an it's R. very Texas of you. The yes. W words. Yes. Washed. Washed um, birthday. Birthday? Those are East Ca- the East Coast version. Of the, they, the How do you say Philly, birthday? The Philly... Philly peeps like to say washed and birthday. Philly like says washed? Yep. That's a Texas yeah, thing. Yeah, I've heard, that's, it, that's I, I've heard it in Texas, thing. but I've heard it also in Philadelphia. 
Interesting. Uh, the early water. returns on the uh, the Twitter poll, uh, hundreds have voted already, uh, almost 100. Uh, Brian Thomas, 38%. Cooper DeGene at 37 So this will be one to monitor to see what the people You don't think the do. horns bias plays into that? I mean, oh, that's right. No, no, no. I mean, the, no, the, I don't. No, I, I was thinking the other, Adonis the other Mitchell. Adonis Mitchell. He's yeah. at he's at fifteen percent, but maybe Adonis Mitchell still some of the Brian Thomas receiver vote. Yeah, I, I would think Cooper that both DeGene. of those guys, because of where they play and being close to home here, that I mean, there'd I, be a lot more interest. I like Adonai Mitchell, but I just don't. I I would. I, I'm a little uncomfortable taking this him this high, considering his volume was never significantly yeah. high. He was never relied on as the alpha target in Georgia in Texas. He was always the complimentary piece i don't like taking complimentary pieces in the first round right i like that uh you can vote along at espn 97.5 at jeremy branham on the uh the twitter 713-780-ESPN uh there's some of these uh, some guesses that's more of a guess than a report uh the trade packages that it would cost to move up to number one and boy is it pricey it's the killer bees on espn 97.5 and espn 92.5